Welcome to On Living, the Trauma and Beauty of Being Human with Dr. Leanne Nguyen. Have you ever asked yourself what it means to be human? What does it mean to be fully alive? What does it take to love, to really connect with another human being? How do we fully engage with and honor the humanity in us? It's time to really talk, listen to, and connect with one another. Come join in the conversation with your host, Dr. Leanne Nguyen. Hello, everyone. This is Leanne Nguyen um, hosting you for the hour today. I am every week, you know, I'm always so excited and grateful to find you tuning in uh, to the hour to engage with me to find me as I um, try to find my way to the answer to that question of what makes us human. Um, you know, other than hosting this show, I'm also a psychologist. <laughs> I've spent the last 20 plus years studying human behavior and attempting to, uh, attending to uh, human suffering. So one would think that I should know something about humans, about people, right? But frankly, I have to say that at this point, I am just plain um, mystified and heartbroken, and also in awe uh, about people, about this thing called human living. I'm mystified by the turns that the human mind can take and by the leaps and falls that the human heart can sustain. I am heartbroken by how poorly we tend to one another currently. But I am also... um, and fundamentally, I'm also still in so much in awe, you know, by how persistently and desperately um, and sometimes bravely we all keep trying to survive, to reach for that something that we feel we deserve in this life, to reach for that something that we are convinced we need in order to make this life worth cherishing, in order to live and love one another um, in dignity and with grace. So I continue to pose the question, you know, um, out of this sense of awe and and of, of mystification, what is that thing that we need? What is that thing that we seek to cherish? What makes us human? What can we see in one another? What can we seek from one another? What can we offer to one another in this life, in this world that is becoming more and more ruthless and dehumanizing? Um, Earlier in the year when I was approached by the network, um, they proposed to me this idea, you know, this opportunity of this show as, as an opportunity to, um, to develop my brand, <laughs> to cultivate my product and, you know, get the word out about my, my services or my product. Um, as all of you who have been tuning in and, and, and following, I, I think you must have figured out that the, the branding thing is just like, you know, has gone to shit. <laughs> I, I don't even know what that is. But I hope, I assume that you also have caught on that this show is really uh, my love song, my, my love message to us fellow humans. It's also uh, a cri de coeur. And, and that is that 
I want to say to you all, you know, let's look at each other. Let's listen to each other. Let's find a time, however briefly, to talk to each other, to find out about our desires and fears towards one another so as to grasp and tend to that precious little thing, whatever that is, that we can do to and with and for each other in this life. You know, I said about um, in in my in my in my work in my professional uh, my livelihood. You know, I I try to tend to human suffering, and at this point, I'm reminded. I'm thinking of a quote from a, a very senior psychoanalyst by the name of Michael Eigen, who said something like, um, "I'm going to paraphrase him um, that mankind has not yet discovered the cure for the suffering that we inflict." on one another. That is true. But then, so what are we to do? You know, give up or give in to our capacity for cruelty and indifference, to our helplessness and hopelessness about the cure for suffering? You know, Mike Eigen, he's typical of psychoanalysts. Um, He... In this quote, you know, he was able to hone in to the rupture and the dark crevices of the human condition, to be able to give words and shape to what ails us. But then what, right? That's the real question. Confronting us with what we are, and then what, in order to do what? Um, what, what, what what is the cure? If, if there's no cure to being human, then what? What is the existential, the ethical response then to our human condition? How do we behold and carry and tend to and honor the things that we are, the things that we do with our humanity? At this point in the show, these questions for me have sort of coalesced around the question of how do we support one another in this task towards being human. Um, Anton Chekhov, one of my favorite writers, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you a quote of his that I hope will illustrate what I'm trying to do here. He said something like, you know, don't show me the moon. Don't tell me that the beautiful moon is shining. Show me the glint of light off the shards of broken glass. I want to catch the glint of light. Forget about the moon. I want to catch us, the glint of light. I want us to be inspired to, to commit to, to support each other in finding and shining that glint of light that we are capable of in our broken imperfect, beautiful humanity. All right, so that's what I wish to do for the remainder of my time with you. So, um, just for today, joining me in conversation uh, towards catching the glint of light (laughs) is uh, a colleague and a friend of mine, John Shaw. He's a psychologist and a psychoanalyst and also a musician, a kick-ass musician. But <laughs> maybe we can talk about his music at some point too. But I, uh, John is um, the director of health and mental health services as at, at this agency called Sheltering Arms that um, services uh, youth and families. I will let you tell 
let him tell you more about um, about the people that he worked with. But I want John uh, to join in conversation to talk about um, the the role of the creative arts in um, in helping these kids connect with their humanity. All right, that's sort of like my ambition, and we'll see where the conversation goes. John, welcome to the hour. Thank you so much, Leanne. Very happy to be here. Yes. So, um, can you tell me or, or tell the listeners a little bit about sheltering arms before we we talk about you know the the arts? I want you to give them an idea of of what you see of the kids that you work with when you go to work. Uh, thank you. Yes, I I love to talk about um, the agency that I work for, and I'm very attached to. Um, it's a very large agency. It, it's um, its scale is well beyond the program areas I'm directly responsible for in delivering health and mental health services. Uh, it ranges from early childhood to uh, programs for developmentally disabled adults. Um, to youth programs, drop-in centers, uh, mental health services in a clinic, um, as well as the foster care and juvenile justice programs that uh, I'm responsible for overseeing the health and mental health services and their delivery to them. So it's it's a very large, broad-spectrum agency. The full name is Sheltering Arms Children and Family Services. Um, There's Mm -hmm. a website up. And I heard from our director of development that uh, this is now on Twitter uh, and Facebook, which helped to add to my jitters about uh, the broadcast tremendously. So thank you for that. Um, so I, before I, I speak any further of, uh, about the services, I didn't want to forget a reaction I was having as I listened to you talk about uh, Chekhov. And mm-hmm. it'll be a theme of uh, what I'll be um, sharing today with you in the audience, and that has to do with um, means of engagement. And uh, I like Chekhov's uh, quote. Uh, I would change it slightly, however, that um, we are the shards of glass that -hmm. the moon shines in, and that the common human experience of gazing at the moon together provides a medium, a way of people sharing their experience where what they're talking about will cut across uh, cultural divides, will cut across educational divides, uh, will cut across those things that um, divide up our shared humanity and provide us with, um, in this case, uh, gazing at the moon, an activity Mm -hmm. that both people can engage in readily regardless of their background or age and mm-hmm. to share an experience and to build communication from. Um, so it's, um, I think, one small example of, of very plentiful ones that I have learned to, I've, I've always known about, but I've actually learned how to, for myself, incorporate it into clinical work and clinical practice here at the agency. Okay. Well, but there are, and again, this is my very particular view of what currently is going on or what we have come to, you know, as as a culture. I think that there are tremendous obstacles and distractions to that communal existential activity of gazing at the moon. We are distracted or we are blind to that. 
Yes, we are, we are uh, constantly pulled from it in a variety of ways that um, directly isolate us from immediate shared experience, simply mm-hmm. talking and, and relating. But I would, again, suggest that um, it occurs more than we realize on an everyday basis here in the Northeast. Uh, we're expecting uh, snowfall today. Um, it's on everybody's mind, and uh, anyone who's ever been out uh, when it's snowing uh, can feel that there's a um, shared, common, uniting experience, that can be igniting experience with mm-hmm. people on the street and what the environment is providing for them to share and talk about. It doesn't mm-hmm. produce the sharing. It can't uh, make people share but it provides, I think, um, an everyday platform that people can relate to total strangers um, about, uh, and that is the, the snowfall and its effect, its beauty. It's, it has physiological effects that are very common to all people who happen to be in it, uh, mm-hmm. stirrings of aliveness that can be shared. Uh, but I absolutely mm-hmm. agree we are in a uh, society that... Um, sadly, uh, gears us towards self-absorption and not sharing those experiences. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so let's look at, for example, the, the, the population, the kids that, that your agency deals with, that you work with. Mm-hmm. What do sure. you see, uh, just let's look at them, at, at their lives so far, from the angle of this gazing at the moon activity. What do you see? in terms of the, uh, what has been derailed or distracted in them, in these kids? Well, um, many of the children, even if they come into care, not until they're teenagers, um, but certainly the children who are placed in foster care earlier in life that we provide um, foster boating homes to, have been through... Um, childhood experiences as well as their families of deprivation, difficulties, uh, transgenerational um, passing on of really severe um, living traumas. Some are single events, but for the most part, the, uh, the very context of living in an undernourished environment in every respect uh, that you can think of. Um, well, can you be be, 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 be a little bit concrete, ground us here in some reality? Are you talking about inner city kids? Are you talking about yeah. poverty, the, racism? Me, my, yeah, for, my, for me, my experience are uh, is working with, and I'm calling from the South Bronx, where I've worked for about 30 years, uh, and uh, this is this is an area of um, extreme poverty. All of the indicators on risk for childhood development of any sort of problem, physical or behavioral, is they're up on the list. I'm working in the uh, community district that uh, very frequently is high on everything from infant mortality to reports of child abuse to um, abject poverty. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, high levels of uh, physical illnesses associated with those. So that is many of the kids who we, uh, that I serve uh, come into this system um, because to one extent or another, the social service network that's there to help support and help um, give families what they might need um, 
the interventions sometimes can work and sometimes support the families, but uh, at the end of the sad tale for some of the families, uh, when the interventions all fail and the children are still at significant risk of either um, daily neglect or physical harm or abuse, they are placed into foster boarding homes. Um, mm -hmm. That gives the family and the agency a period of time to help uh, support the child, get basic, make sure basic needs are met, and also work with the families uh, to figure out what the family um, identifies as those needs that were most critical to them not being able to provide the care, the basic care and support that the uh, children need. Uh, there are also children who are admitted into care. It's a small fraction of the children who are in foster boarding homes uh, who have been uh, violently attacked, abused, and need to be taken away from abusive families. But again, mm -hmm. that is a small percentage of the kids who are actually uh, in care, and a great number of the children are helped without foster boarding home intervention in preventive programs, and mm -hmm. those who enter, a great number of them um, do go home to their families. Uh, percentage of children, since we don't want foster care to be their life story completely, um, may be adopted, uh, but that's um, the basically a small percentage of children go yeah. that route. Right. And uh, also, so how many a, of them? How many of them may end up in jail? Well, my experience uh, working with the juvenile justice reform program that New York State um, created in 2012, called Close to Home. Um, is that the, um, and Sheltering Arms opened the first um, group home facility, treatment facility for youth who prior to that had simply been sent upstate having been committed of a juvenile offense and simply stayed upstate, uh, watched them afar and then returned without any family visits or interventions during the time to the city. So the mm -hmm. city began this program to be able to um, have family contact, continue for the youth, work with the family, work with the youth, keep it in the community, try to keep the community ties uh, alive and well. Um, so the transition back to the, uh, where the youth lives um, goes well. In that population, um, a significant number of the kids, I would say, in my experience at least, more than half of them had not been in foster care or previous placements before. Uh, mm -hmm. That the problems uh, erupted um, in junior high into high school with uh, a large percentage of involvement with gang activity or other, mm -hmm. um, for the most part, low-level crimes, and most of the kids we get into our first level of care called non-secure placement. Um, mm -hmm. Most of those kids are coming in because they were sent home to community services um, to try to address the issues that led to their offense and failed to do those services. So most of the kids even coming in have not committed two or three or four crimes and then come into care. They simply failed to live up to uh, what the judge had ordered them to do in order to try to stay in the community. Mm -hmm. A percentage okay. of those kids... Um, do enter the foster care system, I'm sorry, come from the foster care system. Um, those kids, for the most part, have been in foster care for years, uh, often do not have any family or community ties to work with, and the crimes that they committed uh, had occurred um, while they were in care, not home with their okay. family. Yeah. In addition, so a small number of youth who come in who had not been in foster care 
when it's time to be returned home, having um, fulfilled their obligations uh, by way of um, out-of-home placement, do not have a home to return to and may enter foster care uh, in that way. But those are, are by and far, um, very small percentages of the kids. Most of the youth we have come in have not been in foster care and return home uh, to directly to their family or a family resource in their community. Okay. So let's take a break here for our first commercial break. And, and when now that you have provided us with the context, you know, when we come back, I would like for us to talk a little bit about the, the, what you see of, of the broken glass <laughs> in these kids, you know, and, and, and in terms of the interruption or the derailment in that sense of connection, of communal activity, of gazing at the moon. Mm-hmm. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Do you ever feel that you need to make changes but don't know how? Ever wish for someone who can help you find true purpose and make new choices? Dr. Nguyen is this person. Her passion is to help people bridge the gap between where they are and where they want to be. With Dr. Nguyen, you will enter a conversation that is unlike any other. You will make contact with yourself at a depth you never thought you could. You will give yourself an encounter with new thoughts, deep questions, and a renewed faith in your birthright to live the life you are meant to live. Dr. Nguyen's practice has been available to people from all over the world, across cultures and identities. She has built it as a lighthouse and a safe haven to give the deep support and clarity so you can fulfill the promise that you once made to yourself to live your purpose. Whether you are in New York City or anywhere in the world, visit her at drleanne.com. You can also contact her for a free consultation in person or on Skype. The website again is drleanh.com. It's time to have a healthier relationship with money. Use it with purpose to create the life you envision. At Thinking Big Financial, your future starts right now. Services include financial planning and investment management. It's not just about the numbers. It's about how they fit into your life. Reach out to Jim to start thinking big about your own financial life. Because isn't it time? For more information, visit thinkingbigfinancial.com. That's thinkingbigfinancial.com. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to On Living. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to ldnewin.phd at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Here again is Dr. Leanne Nguyen. All right, welcome back to the hour, everyone. So, John, you were uh, describing to us, you were setting the contacts for us about these children who come in from a, a long, deep history of deprivation and multi-generational also transmission of trauma. So they come in with a lot. And your agency tries to provide for the support, right, 
to them and their Mm -hmm. families and maybe even the community uh, to sort of steer them away from uh, from what from from the, the the correctional system from more mental illness uh, but what I want you to describe to us is what do you see in these kids in terms of the derailment in the in what I call you know the task of being human if I can say so what do you see as the derailments or the interruptions in them sure um and derailment to me conveys uh, a train off the track, and I see in the kids much more um, that they're on a track of um, trying to make things work for themselves, on trying to be heard and known in the world, as we mm. all want to do, um, who have been... Um, either shut down, shut out, um, criticized, or put down because they weren't fitting in um, quite within the parameters of our, for example, current educational system um, and how we try to um, approach um, the larger issue of education and socialization of, of youth. But they're all very, very strong, so I see them on um, a track that... Um, we try to, uh, I guess, get them to a point where with all the energy and all of the fierce um, positive uh, hope and adaptation that they do have that's been going to um, try to meet their needs but in ways that are getting them in trouble and are not good for anyone um, mm-hmm. but still are meeting those needs, get them to to recognize all the resources they actually have, that they actually are employing, that have not been recognized before, Mm -hmm. and to take those resources and to consider new alternatives, other opportunities that they can have uh, that are open to them, that they can move toward other than the ones, uh, in addition to, I should say, um, the ones that they are choosing to have their needs met in, which is usually um, social contact through gang affiliation and aspiration of very normal adolescent wishes and fantasies about who they can be and what they could be, um, except it's been in a context of seeing that in terms of uh, prison life and activity and socialization. So um, all the energies are, are there that have not been recognized uh, so much in the mm. way of talent and ability is there that has not been recognized. Uh, and it's simply being put uh, to purposes that are really, in some ways, so ultimately self-defeating for the youth, although they're not feeling that at this point, mm-hmm. and, um, but are filled with aspiration and, and hope. Um, I had, I've been working as a clinical psychologist um, for well over 30 years and a psychoanalyst for over 20, uh, which I added on to uh, my, my tool belt. And um, it's only of, and so I had been able to develop a way of being with the youth and the families that I'm working with here, although I am white, I am male, I am privileged uh, and continue to be, but found a way to make uh, me and the streets of the South Bronx, the environment and the families that are working there, part of myself. And it, that mm-hmm. part has transformed me. 
but I wasn't able to really, in supervising younger psychologists and other, other young clinicians, wasn't able to find a way to help them also do it other than going through the years of experience and, and uh, perseverance that for some reason I had to stay um, working with uh, the underserved in the city. So mm-hmm. it was only part of my, and I'll parallel to that, my personal life was that I've, I've always loved music. Music saved me as a, as a child and throughout my life as a place where um, I could go, or I should say a place that takes me when I needed to be there. Um, where um, I could find myself centered or grounded or just fascinated with the experience of my senses and being alive and uh, feeling and hearing things uh, and what it did uh, for my imagination and where it took me from. Um, mm-hmm. So I, over the years, I uh, played guitar. I be, uh, began active in a uh, band around 15 years ago. Uh, which is comprised of psychoanalysts. If you can imagine a band of psychoanalysts, a rock band, that we actually exist. Um, But it wasn't until I began working with a a colleague who's a licensed creative arts therapist that um, I really began to understand that um, a, a whole group of people were approaching engagement and uh, treatment um, in a way that was... Um, totally foreign to me that I had never conceived of before, and uh, the core of creative arts really began with um, trying to treat those who were considered untreatable, such as um, um, children on the autistic spectrum um, mm-hmm. who could not relate to uh, either verbal interchange um, or could not relate even to... Um, verbal commands or instructions, just couldn't connect. So um, I learned a good deal about um, the work that was done, uh, particularly in music, but also with visual arts in engaging um, severely autistic children who, who didn't mm-hmm. communicate or, or, or relate at all. There, there could be the moon there, but there'd be how could you possibly share it with them uh, when mm-hmm. they didn't look at you, wouldn't touch you, couldn't, couldn't talk, uh, couldn't verbalize. Um, so as I learned about this, and I hope the respect I have for this field is evident in what I'm saying, um, New York is the one of the very few states who have actually created a mental health license for creative arts therapists so mm-hmm. that they could be included uh, regularly in clinical work. Um, so it's, it's relatively of late that I've been able to find a way to integrate my own personal love of music and my uh, love of singing and, and playing guitar uh, with my clinical work. And that all began working with teenagers um, in the opening up of uh, Sheltering Arms uh, Close to Home program some mm-hmm. six, six years ago. Yeah. Um, so what I, to try to sum it up a bit in terms of the metaphor of the moon is that in sitting down with a, uh, a youth, remember these are teenagers, and it's a rare teenager who wants to see a therapist to talk about anything, right. let alone their problems. It's foreign to most teenagers to do something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had found ways over the years, and I got to be pretty good working with teenagers, but it would take me a few months to get it to anything uh, of sharing, of them being able to share anything meaningful in terms of their 
daily experience or, or things that have happened in their life. And I uh, quickly found out that um, when I switched what we were doing from a traditional just kind of talking and discussing and getting to know each other kind of mode verbally to um, listening to music they were interested, which of large was, was uh, rap music, and to start there with them, um, accepting and hearing and listening, and then have them begin to talk a little bit about the music. Many of them were already writing uh, raps or performing raps freestyle mm-hmm. and wanted to do that, wanted to be heard, appreciated the fact that I, um, I along with my uh, music therapist, uh, Tori Mirlock, um, and the support of the agency actually began buying um, equipment that the kids could use in order to uh, record, in order to play music, in order to learn musical instruments if they, uh, if they wanted the lessons we provided it uh, for them, um, mm-hmm. to getting um, MP3 players where the kids who um, did perform something could go home and listen to it, to then using the MP3 players for the youth to uh, kind of, um, if they're feeling agitated and just need, need some space, to be able to do that and support that and, and listen mm-hmm. to it. So a whole way of um, an attitude toward the, the kids and treatment evolved that was exciting. And within a year of opening the program, we had teenagers on waiting lists for therapy. We were calling it therapy at that point. <laughs> uh-huh. okay. um, so, uh, which is a very unusual uh, situation to be in. So the, 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 greatest strength that, that I, I've seen is that um, if I'm in with a youth who begins um, by wanting to either listen to certain songs or, or to, uh, to write certain um, lyrics and bars or even to sing them, they're so willing to share that material. And mm-hmm. as I begin to talk about it within the first session, they are talking about um, very uh, disturbing, uh, violent, off-the-charts experiences that they have had, um, seeing either uh, family members uh, or friends uh, shot, um, killed right before them, or being involved themselves in um, different kinds of um, violent activities that erupted around them. Mm-hmm. And this would take me normally verbally if I ever got to it months and months, but they're willing to share it because, if we're going to use that metaphor, uh, I, I, I said, let's look at this. I want to look at this, too. So mm-hmm. it provides, um, in a way, a third in the room um, mm-hmm. that we could share thoughts and experiences about. Um, as a clinician, I might talk in metaphoric forms about what I think might apply to them in their lives, about the song, about the artist, or about the situation. And it kind of um, took off from there. I also learned Mm -hmm. that um, while um, the music part came kind of naturally for me, and I'm not a music therapist by training, nor do I uh, put myself out as one, um, but that the same thing could do be done through uh, painting or visual art or mm-hmm, through dance mm-hmm. or through drama or through writing, according to what speaks most to the youth. Mm-hmm. So um, we so developed. In- um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So as I listen to this, there are two, there are two levels. Right? There is like I want to ask you to, to, to speak about what exactly. Um, 
is is the access that the creative arts, the medium, right, of creative arts facilitates or allows for these kids, you know, to in terms of expression, of self-expression. But there's the other level, you know, the, the meta level of what it does to them to receive this kind of attention, of facilitation. And I'm thinking, go back to what you said, that we're all trying to be heard. We're all trying to be seen. We're all constantly speaking our story. So I'm just wondering, would you say that what your program does in providing, you know, all these um, the, the, the instruments and, and this way of engagement, the message that you're giving to them, is it that you have something to say and we want to hear it? Is it as simple as that? Is that a life-saving thing that's missing most of the time in these kids' lives? Yes, it's certainly from um, the social institutions that we've created uh, to try to help support uh, people developing toward um, kindness and respect for one another. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not it's not in there. Social media, interestingly enough, has done a very good job in the area of making oneself known. But I think what happens uh, when it's done in a therapeutic situation is that it's done um, not on YouTube where other people are watching it and talking about it abstractly or apart from the medium. You're in the medium with the youth at the child relating and talking to uh, the youth about it um, at the time. I, uh, I guess I should add that this is... Um, the, the ability for this to be replicated in other areas, such as um, family work. I had a youth who uh, I was working with just uh, learning how to play bass guitar. He was interested in it and developing uh, his ability to like accompany um, rap songs that we would, we would download and listen to. And all the while we were talking and getting to know each other, one day he mentioned that his father was a drummer. And I said to him, no, I said, you do realize that it is the drums and the bass that drives anything from jazz to rock to country to rap. That's mm-hmm. what makes songs go. That's what gets into people's hearts. That's what mm-hmm. gets their hearts pumping. And drummers and bass, they stand next to each other because they got to work together. Uh-huh. How about having your father in? Uh-huh. So... The father was delighted, and they had, a, uh, at that point, a, a very, very contentious, very attached, but very contentious uh, relationship. And so we just came in, and the fam- quote-unquote family therapy consisted of um, learning how to just play together and uh, accompany each other on songs. Uh-huh. So that uh-huh. kind of, you can just, um, one can just, you know, feel, I think, in my de- description that that's providing a medium for relating, for paying attention to each other, for appreciating what each other does mm-hmm. without a word being spoken. Yeah, Because it, right. it wouldn't work without it. And you could also see that it was meeting a need, that it was something they, they wanted to do. Um, but, I did find, which was funny, as soon as I tried to get them to start talking about the issues, they'd start quarreling. So I'll get back to the music. Okay. okay. So, um, it provi- so that was a way of um, introducing family work, 
um, into it. We at the agency we yeah. want to begin expanding it into foster fa- um, visits between foster children and their natural um, biological parents when they come for visits. As <clears throat> again, as a medium that everybody gets, everybody likes, everybody uh, relaxes with, and then begin gently to have other kinds of conversations. Yeah. Well, we're going to get into head into our next commercial break, but you know what I'm learning, what I'm getting from, from what you say is that that there's such a deep irresistible need in all of us to be together, to connect. Mm-hmm. And but yes. there are many other ways other than the traditional, right? Very limiting and limited. Maybe even like uh, kind of very western way, which is like just a talking mm-hmm. business. So mm-hmm. when we come back, let's talk about these other ways ab- about the arts and what they allow us to access. Okay? Just we'll be right back after okay. a few minutes. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. It's time to have a healthier relationship with money. Use it with purpose to create the life you envision. At Thinking Big Financial, your future starts right now. Services include financial planning and investment management. It's not just about the numbers. It's about how they fit into your life. Reach out to Jim to start thinking big about your own financial life. Because isn't it time? For more information, visit thinkingbigfinancial.com. That's thinkingbigfinancial.com. Do you ever feel that you need to make changes but don't know how? Ever wish for someone who can help you find true purpose and make new choices? Dr. Nguyen is this person. Her passion is to help people bridge the gap between where they are and where they want to be. With Dr. Nguyen, you will enter a conversation that is unlike any other. You will make contact with yourself at a depth you never thought you could. You will give yourself an encounter with new thoughts, deep questions, and a renewed faith in your birthright to live the life you are meant to live. Dr. Nguyen's practice has been available to people from all over the world, across cultures and identities. She has built it as a lighthouse and a safe haven to give the deep support and clarity so you can fulfill the promise that you once made to yourself to live your purpose. Whether you are in New York City or anywhere in the world, visit her at drleanne.com. You can also contact her for a free consultation in person or on Skype. The website again is drleanh.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to On Living. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to ldnewin.phd at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Here again is Dr. Leanne Nguyen. So, John, basically you are telling us that... um, there are many other ways that people can reach each other and connect with each other. And what you your program is doing is to provide that through through the arts, an engagement, right, in some artistic mm-hmm. endeavor. Um, 
can you just, <laughs> I know this is unfair, but what does it do? <laughs> you know, just summarize it. The whole, a whole field, a whole mystical experience. To me, the arts is like this mystical experience, you know, but can you capture that thing? As you see these kids and their families engaged in it and things open up, what is it that the arts can access, can bring us to? I think it, it because it's universal, um, that all of the arts are ancient. Um, words are sounds. Before they capture any meaning, they are, they are sounds and how words are said. Uh, mm. As anyone who goes to theater knows, um, how, how an expression is, is put forth uh, with the words involves um, musical qualities, sounds, movement, gestures, posture. So there's that, that's all been from the beginning. Um, it's nothing that we, we are wired that way. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's in all of us, uh, regardless of where we come from uh, or when in history we were even born, where we, the, the basic human um, physiology and sensory apparatus really has not changed very much over the millennia. Um, so what I think it provides is this very intuitively and biologically known safe place that um, allows people to, um, and to, well, the effect doesn't allow, it produces an effect where a person is um, in an environment that um, is just known on the deepest level, sensed on the deepest level, and if you have conversations with people um, while there, what and how you begin, what and how you talk about what you talk about is deeply influenced by that. So um, it, uh, I see this at our, we often have um, bigger events where staff are there um, who take care of the kids on a regular basis as well as the other kind of support staff are there. As soon as the music and the performances um, begin, everyone is transformed into an audience. Um, when we are in an audience, you could watch the Kennedy Center performances on television and watch the um, heads of state. They are no different as they sit engaged in listening to a performance than any other human being. So mm-hmm. it creates this um, atmosphere where I think people just, it brings out a certain part of a person uh, that just feels comfortable in, in talking and relating. So mm. the, the, um, the, I guess the more specific goal of it used to help produce change along the lines of um, mental health thinking and clinical thinking um, is that it provides an engagement that, uh, to a much wider um, um, audience, if, you, if we'll put it, than traditional verbal psychotherapy does. Mm-hmm. and um, can um, be used clinically to take You have to be a clinician to take it in a clinical direction, but mm-hmm. you, if you're not um, in some way part of or, or into the um, arts that really speak to you, um, it, it, it's going to be a, a harder road to take it. Um, so mm-hmm. what I think the challenge for the mental health field, uh, particularly when using these other media, is how do you... What's the clinical process? What's the clinical goal? How do we get there? Um, 
And the danger is by, I think, trying to think too hard in that direction, you're going to kill the baby with the, um, with the development of the theory about the baby, uh, meaning that um, the basic given that it provides in terms of the engagement, I believe, is uh, a healing experience. Uh, and has always uh, been so. The, uh, you mentioned the West. Uh, the rest of the world is um, way far ahead of us when it comes to healing arts and healing mm-hmm. experiences um, as, a, as the baseline uh, for what the interaction is. In other words, not particularly, you know, what's the change, what's the difference in behavior, uh, what are the different, you know, what's a higher level this person can function on, et cetera, et cetera. It's just taken in as a given that this is healing because everybody recognizes that it's healing and it's good. And, it, and if it becomes part of a person's regular life, mm-hmm. change will come. And, You're talking uh, about the recognition of, of that basic universal connective tissue. Yes, um, sheltering arms um, in a number of ways uh, supports what we're doing. One of the ways was to send myself and another staff person to a year-long training at the Open Center in Sound Music Integration. And um, much of what the folks there know of already or have been practicing already, it's ironic, is um, now becoming more palatable to the West because there's science that supports it. And it's uh, what kind of gets lost is that uh, the rest of the world has known this for 10,000 years. And uh-huh. um, it's we needed um, the, uh, I guess, the to use a psychoanalytic term, the transitional object of science uh, to accept it and, and, and make our way towards it. The interesting uh, part of that, though, is that it is uh, fully supported by modern science, both in terms of um, neurochemistry in terms of modern physics um, totally supported what has been said for uh, any number of years with regard to the effect on people uh, of um, voice, of uh, music, of sound, and basically of um, vibrations, shared vibrations that people are in in a particular environment gets them attuned to one another. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. You can't not do it if you're going to stand, if you're going to sit there and be in an environment that has any type of um, allure, such as the moon. Uh, mm-hmm. If you sit there, you will be brought into closer alignment with one another from your nervous system to what you have to say uh, because of this very primal, basic experience of being the, in the presence of art, which yeah. that's how we're using the moon in this metaphor. Right. It's, so, you know, I find it kind of um, heartbreaking, though, the irony that you're talking about in the field, the clinical field, like where the, the thinking is reaching out to the arts more, out of the recognition that the traditional mode is limiting. And yet, mm-hmm. right, when we look at the larger context of society, of the culture, what's going on, the arts are being more and more 
disrespected and eliminated, right? The funding is being eliminated. Libraries are being closed. Uh, in school, there, you know, it's a lucky, fortunate school that has arts teachers, for example. You know, these things are considered luxuries or, 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 or extracurriculars as opposed to central to a kid's development or central to our survival. Um, I was talking to a patient yesterday, too, and she was despairing riding in a subway to watch people to look around and she said, you know, we are so atomized these days and she comes mm-hmm. from India. Do you, I mean, do you recognize, am I right in being quite despairing ab- ab- about how it's being, this thing that is so precious to us, you know, the facilitation of how we can connect with each other and feel the vibrations and gaze at the moon, the conditions are currently not in place or valued to help us in that. Yeah, and what would well, be your the, solution? Right. The, the societal supports to engage in that and respect it are not there, but the conditions are, are always there. And yeah. um, going with your, your subway metaphor, what also happens on subways, if you're ever on it, when some sort of alert comes on cell phones, even if it's for the weather, uh-huh. and everybody's cell phones start beeping because they pull into the station and everybody's getting alert. Everybody hears that, and they start looking at each other, and people start talking to each other. What'd you uh-huh. get? Why is that there? Why are they telling right. us about rain? This is New York City. Yeah, people start talking because there's a sudden change in the ambience of the environment that has to do, in this case, with a kind of discordant sound. Uh, mm-hmm. So people turn to each other. They look to our bodies do that. So mm-hmm. this is really, um, I agree with you, it, it's, it's, it's horrific what we have done by devaluing arts, but it, it hasn't dampened what art does and always has done, and the thirst for it, I think, is seen in the explosion of the use of uh, uh, the Internet and, and YouTube mm-hmm. for performances, and it's a hunger that I can just, for many of our kids, um, this is where they are at, and there's no opportunity in their schooling to shine mm-hmm. because or just of the emphasis to speak. On, yeah. on the non-arts. Uh, I also I would like to add about uh, the field of psychotherapy. Um, I think that verbal psychotherapy, if it begins to consider itself one of the creative arts, that one of, it's one of the media using one's voice, one's talking, one's, uh, one's words, and how one uses that, if you consider that another medium through which um, the discussions can flow, that that's the most important ingredient, the, the quality of your mm-hmm. own voice when you're talking, what you're expressing, your, your, your visual expressions, what you're drawn to, okay. any lightness yeah. you might bring in as a clinician, that gets the same thing going in the sessions that yeah. um, well, everybody, y- you know, we're wired to be on the alert for that. Right. And I would say, by I mean, we have to end in, in a few seconds. And I, I would like to say, though, that we can do that. We should do that. Be mindful of that and tender to that outside of the psychotherapy session in any oh, conversation <laughs> and human interaction that we have with each other. We, you know, we have words, voice, gestures. We can look at each other. We can touch each other. Right. And that's what you mean. about and we, gaze. And we and we do. And nature all around us uh, gives us um, stimulation to do that. I did want yes. to end uh, before we and just just put in it is this, it is the time of giving. 
So those of us who have enough to give and those of us who have been given uh, even more and, and can and should give back, please consider Sheltering Arms Children and yes. Family Services. The website is there, and uh, donations are very needed and very welcome. Okay. And I support that. Thank you, John, for, for coming Thank on. You. And um, yes, Thanksgiving is next week. So I wish you all a lot of love with one another. And um, I will find you again next week. Same time, same place. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you for tuning to On Living, the trauma and beauty of being human. Please join Dr. Leanne Nguyen again next Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And enjoy being alive.